Thank you, Mo, and good morning to all of you. It's great to be with you and with the Word of God this morning. I realize that my cultural references in my sermons sometimes can be a little dated. So the last movie clip I showed was from the 1950s on the waterfront. Some of you might remember this. This was uh, many months ago now. And Marlon Brando in On the Waterfront cries out, I could have been a contender, I could have been a contender. So going back all the way to the 1950s for that particular clip. So I've committed myself now to being more contemporary in my illustrations. So today I'm going to show you a movie clip all the way moving up from the 1960s. (laughs) So this is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid the great Robert Redford and the great Paul Newman. They are on the run from the law and the lawmen have them pinned against this cliff and apparently there's no way out. So Butch and Sundance are getting ready to shoot it out, but they know that they're not gonna win. They know it's a suicide mission, but at this point, it's their only hope is to shoot it out. Now, Butch has this brilliant idea. And if you know Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, he always comes up with these brilliant ideas. A lot of them don't work out so well, but listen to this and watch this brilliant idea and see how this unfolds. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid as they are pinned against this cliff by the lawman. Ready? No, we'll jump. water's deep enough we don't get squished to death they'll never follow us how do you know would you make a jump like that and you didn't have to i have to and i'm not gonna well we got to otherwise we're dead they're just gonna have to go back down the same way they come come on just one clear shot that's all i come want come on uh-uh. we got to nope. get away from me why i want to fight them they'll kill us maybe you want to die do you all right i'll jump first nope then you jump first. No, I said. What's the matter with you? I can't swim! <laughs> Why, are you crazy? The fall will probably kill you. there comes a time when you can't go back and you can't stay where you are. What do you do then? Maybe you found yourself metaphorically in the kind of position that Butch and Sundance found themselves in. And maybe you have to take the crazy step that uh, Sundance did anyway, even though we couldn't swim. Well, we are in the book of Exodus. And as we pick up our story in the book of Exodus, the Israelites have just been freed from Egypt. They have been held in captivity for centuries, and finally the Lord has released them by means of the 10 plagues. And so now the Israelites begin their journey into the wilderness to meet with the Lord. But have they really been freed from Egypt? Let's find out. Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the, land, by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near, For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. So he doesn't lead them by the quickest route, 
he leads them by the slower route. He leads them away from the way of the Philistines, which were in that particular way was guarded by Egyptian garrisons. And so the Israelites, the Lord knows at this point, they're not ready for war. They have some important training exercises to go through before that. And one key training exercise being by the banks of the Red Sea. But for now, the Lord leads them away from trouble and he leads them in this indirect route. Does it ever seem to you as if you're on the slowest route and not the fastest route? I mean, who sets out on a trip and opens up their map app and looks at the alternatives and say, well, here's the reddest route, that's the slowest, and here's the bluest route, that's the fastest. I'm gonna go on the reddest route. Who does that? Well, sometimes as you make your way through life, it seems as if you're on the slowest route. Let's look at verse one of chapter 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in, in front of Pi-Haharioth between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. So now the Lord does something equally strange. He has them turn back. He leads them, first of all, along the slowest route. And now he has them turn back and they do this little circle pattern and they end up by the shore of the Red Sea and he leads them to a dead end. By all appearances, he is leading them to wander aimlessly. It seems as if they have no purpose. What's all, what is all of this going on? Well, there's a purpose that the Lord has in this. It seems strange to them, but for the Lord's sake, what he's doing is he's trying to draw out the Egyptians. And this ends up being good news, but it doesn't seem like good news to the Israelites. To them, it just seems as if they are wandering aimlessly. Does it ever seem when you make your way through life as if you are wandering aimlessly? Maybe you believe in the Lord, maybe you're trusting him, maybe you're following him or trying to follow him, but it seems as if you're wandering aimlessly. It seems as if there's no purpose to all this. And maybe you're even going in circles and maybe you end up from time to time at dead ends. Well, the Lord's ruse has its effect and Pharaoh and the Egyptians decide, what have we done? Why did we let these people go? We had them in bondage. We had them as slaves. They were serving our purposes. Why do we do this? They forgot all about the 10 plagues and especially the 10th plague, the plague of the firstborn. and said, let's go after them. Pharaoh cannot let go. He is obsessed with controlling these people. He's a tyrant. He has his position of power. He can't let go of that position. And he has these people under his thumb. He can't let them go. He cannot let go of control. He cannot lose. He cannot accept defeat. There are people like Pharaoh in this world. They can't let go. They cannot accept defeat. They wanna control people. They wanna take the place of God in people's lives. They wanna make the decisions for you. They wanna tell you how to think and what to do. There are some people like Pharaoh in this world and I'll bet there's a little bit of Pharaoh in all of us. We wanna control our world and maybe the best thing to do is let go. The best thing for Pharaoh would be to let go because he's on this self-destructive path. Chapter 14, verse 10. 
when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. So now, what does the Lord do? He has lured the Egyptians out and the Egyptians are chasing after the, uh, the Israelites. The Israelites are trapped. They're pinned against the Red Sea. This looks like it's a disaster. So first of all, the Lord led them in a way that was indirect and inefficient. Now he, then he leads them in a way that is seemingly aimless. And now he leads them right into a disaster. Does it ever seem as you, when you are making your way through life as if the Lord is leading you right into a disaster? There's no way out and you're trapped. Sometimes it seems that way, doesn't it? And by the way, how does the Lord lead here? I didn't read that part, but he, reads them, he leads them by this, uh, these two pillars, the pillar of the cloud and the pillar of the fire by day and by night. And that's how he goes about leading them. Now, we don't have the pillar and the, and the two pillars. They didn't have the pillars any, for very much longer anyway. What do we have today? We have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads us today in a much more relational way than simply two pillars. So does, does it ever seem, if you're trying to follow the Lord, as if he is leading you in an inefficient way? Does it ever seem as if he is leading you in an aimless way? Does it ever seem as if he is leading you in a disastrous way? Now, let me ask you a few questions. Could it be, if you're not making the progress in life that you would like, that the Lord knows what you're ready for and what you're not ready for, and that he leads you away from trouble that you're not ready for. Could that be the case? You think you're ready for this. You think, you think you're ready to make this straight way through life, but the Lord knows you're not ready for that, at least not yet. So sometimes the Lord leads you on the long way around. Could it be, if it seems as if you are wandering aimlessly, that the old saying is true, God draws straight with crooked lines. Could it be, if it seems like you're walking into disaster, that the Lord will make a way even when there seems no other way? Could all those things be true? It's possible, right? It's possible. Could it be that in all of this strange leading of the Lord and all these strange developments, these circumstances, these starts and these stops and these twists and these turns, which you can't make sense of sometimes, that the Lord is leading you after all? Well, how does Moses respond to all this? Verse 13. And Moses said to the people, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. So the people are protesting against Moses and his leadership. I didn't read that part. They said, oh, is there, because there are no graves in Egypt, you know, that you're leading us out here. And for them, it would be better, you know, to, be, to die in the wilderness or be better to go back and be slaves than to die in the wilderness. Moses, though, comes back with a different suggestion. And the key word here is the word see. What do you see? We see that word three times in these two verses. Stand and see, look, watch, 
Watch what the Lord does. These Egyptians that you see now, you're never gonna see them again. Stand and see, watch, watch what the Lord does. It's what we need to do as well, right? We need to watch, we need to see, watch what the Lord does. And why is it that the Lord leads us sometimes in these strange ways, stops and starts and twists and turns and dead ends? Why does he lead us in such a strange way? Well, watch, watch what the Lord does in this story and let's see what we can learn from it. Verse 15, key verse in our text, by the way, Exodus 14, verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Why do you, singular, cry to me? Now, at first glance, this would seem to be a reference to Moses. Why do you, Moses, cry to me? But it wasn't Moses who was crying to the Lord. It was the people as a whole who were crying to the Lord. And earlier in the text, in, in the book of Exodus, the singular has been used for the people as a whole. So likely, this is a reference to Israel as a whole. Why do you, Israel, cry out to me? And then he speaks to Moses says, and says, tell the people to move forward. Question, forward into what? It's the sea. <laughs> There's nothing but water. Move forward into the sea. Step forward into the sea, into the sea. Uh, does that make sense? Would the Lord ask the people to do that? Well, they're kind of in the position where they almost have no choice because Pharaoh is breathing down their necks. The choice seems to be death at the hand of the Egyptians or to walk forward into a watery grave, death by drowning. Those seem to be the two choices. But because the Lord has offered this choice, it offers a glimmer of hope. Perhaps if they move forward, something will happen. Perhaps Moses doesn't know what will happen at this point, but he has confidence in the Lord. Move forward into the water. And the water represented chaos to the people of Israel. This is, this is moving forward into the chaos. Now this is suicidal. If the leading of the Lord up to this point seemed indirect, and aimless and disastrous, now the leading of the Lord seems suicidal. Don Hudson is a professor, and uh, he talks about how he had trouble in life moving forward into all of the chaos of his life. Listen to this. For years, I pretended I was adequate, but I was playing a game. There were in my past devastating circumstances that told me I was deficient. To admit such a deficiency, however, meant death for me. Even though I felt inadequate in everything, I put up a competent front. I hesitated to get married, have children, or develop significant friendships. All my inadequacies convinced me I was not up to the task. Indeed, my most consuming obsession in life was to conquer my inadequacy. All my life, I desired, I begged God to remove the chaos of my world. I wanted him to flip a switch in my soul so I could change. I would not move forward in my world until I felt adequate. That's Don Hudson's story. Is that your story, at least in part? I know it's mine. 
the hesitancy to move forward unless I feel like I know the answers, unless I know how things are going to turn out. Maybe we don't want to move forward in life because the Lord doesn't flip a switch in our souls, because we don't feel adequate to move forward and to face whatever it is that is out there. And the, and the Lord says, this is really interesting. The Lord says, why do you cry out to me? Now, we have ample evidence in the scriptures that that's a good thing to do most of the time, to cry out to the Lord. The psalmists are crying out to the Lord all the time. And here the Lord says, why are you crying out to me? He says to Moses, tell the people to move forward. Well, you know, maybe there comes a time when it's time to stop crying out to the Lord and to move forward. We cry out to the Lord, Lord, save me. And he says, move forward, save me, move forward, save me, move forward. Move forward into what? Into, into, I, how can I move forward into that? The Lord says, move forward. There comes a time when you can't go back and you can't stay where you are. And the best option is to trust the Lord and to move forward. And when the Lord is really, really gracious in your life, He's going to close off some of the other options. And the best choice is going to be to move forward. It's almost as if you have no other choice but to trust the Lord and to move forward. For example, I shared a few weeks ago that when I was an editor of a newspaper in Los Gatos, I was fired because the publisher had a different vision for the newspaper than I did. And so at that point, I couldn't go back. My services were no longer required. I couldn't really stay where I was. Oh, yeah, I could have done that. I could have just sat by the phone and waited for some newspaper to call me because my services, of course, would be required. No, I couldn't do that. I had to move forward. I had to write resume. Back then, you know, resumes and everything, send them out, mail them, make a phone call. I don't know how you look for a job these days. But anyway, it was different back then, but I had to do it. I didn't want to. I was comfortable where I was, but the Lord kicked me out. I couldn't go back. I couldn't stay where I was. I had to move forward. What's the chaos in your life? Is it relational? Is it familial? Is it uh, financial? Is, is, <laughs> is it everything? <laughs> is, your, is your whole life chaos? Are you, are you looking out at what seems to be a sea of expectations that you have no idea how you're going to meet? Is that the chaos, the chaos of expectations? What do you do when you look out upon a sea of chaos? Maybe the best thing at that point is to step forward, step into the chaos. Move toward her. Move toward him. Move toward them even if you have no idea what's going to happen, even if you have no idea what they are going to do, even if you have no idea how you're going to pull off any of this, move forward into the chaos, trusting the Lord. Are you afraid? It's okay. Listen to Larry Crabb. We realize there is no code to follow in the arenas we determine to enter. There's no code to follow. You can move forward, but there's no code. But it creates a sense of anticipation. Is that possible? 
God gives courage, not the sort that stills trembling legs, but the kind that helps us move forward on them. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is moving forward into the fear. Even if you're moving forward on trembling legs. So how does the Lord respond to all this? Verse 16, Lord speaking to Moses, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. Oh, come on. <laughs> Get off it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna lift up my hand and the staff and the sea's gonna part? Well, that's a little bit different, but we're sort of out of options at this point. So maybe that's what Moses should do. But then the Lord proceeds to promise Moses and the Israelites that the Egyptians are going to pursue them. If the sea actually does split and they're able to go forward into the sea, the Lord's going to release the Egyptians. He's been holding them captive in a certain way, but now he's going to release them to let them chase after the Israelites into the sea. Now, he keeps promising this. He keeps promising that the Egyptians are going to pursue the Israelites. And if you're an Israelite, you're saying, well, thank you very much, Lord. I thought we were through with those clowns. <laughs> I thought you took us away from Egypt. Now Egypt is chasing after us like a bad dream. Well, it's good news. That's what the Lord thinks anyway. It's good news that these people are chasing after you because I'm going to be glorified in all of this and you're going to see it. Verse 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove back the sea by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. The waters being a wall to them on their right and on, the, on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued as the Lord promised, and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses and his chariots and his horsemen. The Lord does seem to have a preference for coming through at the 11th hour, doesn't he? You've seen this in your life, haven't you? You've gotten to the point where, God, how is this going to work out? I've tried everything else and boom, something happens and the Lord does something. Why is that? I think it probably has something to do with faith, don't you? He wants to build faith. He wants us to trust him. So yes, the sea parts unbelievably and the Israelites are able to walk through on dry ground, not mushy ground. They're able to walk through dry ground. As they moved forward, the sea parted. They're able to walk through on dry ground, but it takes step to continue walking through. Why? Because you've got a wall of water to your right and you've got a wall of water to your left and you know that those walls could come crashing down at any point. You have no power to hold up the walls of water. You know that it's the Lord who is holding up those walls. Therefore, it takes faith to keep walking forward. But they have a little bit of incentive. Why? The Egyptians are on their tails. Good news. The Lord's helping them here. 
The Lord's helping them have faith by bringing out the Egyptians to chase after them. Same thing happens in your life. Well, now, uh, next, the Lord throws the Egyptians into a panic. And so they really are just all confused by what's going on. The, the Israelites are, are able to walk through on dry land, but then the Egyptians, they get all confused because of what the Lord does. Look at verse 25, how they respond to that. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. The Egyptians are getting it. They're seeing the power of the Lord, but they saw it all before. Now they're seeing it again. And they cry out, the Lord is fighting for them against us. They realize that they are in over their heads, literally and figuratively. Verse 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Now the Egyptians who cried out to the Lord, or they didn't cry out to the Lord, but they cried out and they said, the Lord is fighting for them and against us. They would not have also said, as the waters of judgment crashed around them, well, you know, all religions are the same. They would not have said, as the waters of judgment crashed around them, that it really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're a good person. They would not have said, as the waters of judgment crashed around them, well, you do you. No. Their confession in the middle of the sea means this. You must worship the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, who is now revealed in Jesus Christ. You must worship that God and now put your faith in Jesus Christ or you will perish. So if you don't believe yet in the Lord Jesus Christ, what you need to do is you need to turn from whatever it is that you think is doing it in your life and you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ and invite him into your life. Notice, the Lord does not remove the chaos. The sea is still there. They just have to walk through it. Usually, he does not remove the chaos from your life. You just have to walk through it and trust him step by step as you make your way through, knowing all the time that you have to trust in the Lord because if it's not the Lord who's holding up those walls of water, you're a goner. Faith, trust the Lord as you walk into the chaos that those walls of water, so to speak, won't collapse. Something did shift for Don Hudson when he had a child and that child was one month old and he thought that child was dying and he recognized he didn't have what it all, he didn't have what it took, 
but something began to change and he began to commit himself differently. And he envisioned at that point, and his child didn't die, but he envisioned at that point sort of what kind of story would he want to tell at the end of his life? He was living a certain kind of story, bound in fear, not moving forward, afraid of things. Because he was afraid of things, he wasn't moving forward into those things. But he wanted, by the end of his life, to be able to tell a different kind of story. And here's what it is. My story will not be about a God who removed the chaos from my life. My story will be, in essence, that in spite of this, and in spite of all the obstacles, confusion, and fears, I trusted God. I will say that he never took away my insecurities, but by his grace, I found courage to trust him anyway. And look what he did through me. Can you believe it? He used my weaknesses, all of them, to bring glory to himself. Is that the kind of story you want to be able to tell about yourself? I hope it is. You can start now by stepping into the chaos and you'll have that kind of story to tell. Step into the chaos, even on trembling legs and trust that the Lord will make a way. So why does the Lord lead us in such strange ways? He leads us in indirect, inefficient ways. He leads us in seemingly aimless ways. He leads us in seemingly disastrous ways. Sometimes he even leads us in seemingly suicidal ways. Why does he do all of this? Maybe it's to get us to the place where we have almost no other choice but to trust him and to step forward and to watch what he does and to see his glory, and to see his power, and to worship him, and have faith developed in all of this. Step into the chaos, watch what he does, then what? Verse 30. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Remember, the key word back in verse 13 was see. We saw it three times in verse 13. You will see this. You will see that. You will see. And now we get to the end of our narrative, and the verb see appears again, but in the past tense. They saw this. They saw what God did to the Egyptians. They saw the great power of the Lord. Why did they see it? Well, one of the reasons is they stepped forward into it. They stepped forward into the chaos, into the sea. Then they saw the great power of the Lord. And notice, now they fear the Lord. Earlier, fear was used of what? Of their fear of the Egyptians. They tremble because of the Egyptians. Now that fear has been replaced by a holy fear of the Lord, and then they also believe. Notice the progression. Step, see, believe. Now, the first step is a belief step also. You are stepping forward in faith, but as you step, you have the opportunity then to see the power of God and then believe. Then you believe in him. Maybe you believed a little at the first, you believe more at the end. 
Now let's step back from our text for just a second to look at the big picture. We like to do this at PBC once in a while because we understand that whatever text we're in, that text is part of a larger story, the whole story of redemption. So what I wanna do now is I wanna go back to the beginning. I wanna go back to Genesis, Genesis chapter one, verse nine. And this is the creation account. The Lord is creating the world. Look at Genesis chapter one, verse nine. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. Does that sound familiar? Here's the verse from our text. Exodus chapter 14, verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided and it was so. What's going on here? You gotta pay attention to the story. You gotta read the story with ears to what has gone before. What's the Lord doing? He's creating Israel. This is a new creation. Israel is a new creation that is the answer to the failure of the first creation and the first humans. Now it's all focusing on Israel and ultimately it's gonna come to fruition in Christ who comes from Israel. Move forward now into the New Testament. We are not crossing through the Red Sea, are we? Not any time that I've seen, but here's what is happening in our lives. If you believe in Jesus, you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And what happens? Spiritually, you are baptized into Christ. And after that, then you get baptized with water, which symbolizes what has already taken place spiritually. You get baptized in water. You go through the water and you come out clean on the other side. And you come out as a new creation. What does Paul say, the Apostle Paul? If anyone is in Christ, what? He is a new creation. You see how beautiful the whole story is and how it is all knit together? Spoiler alert, Butch and Sundance survived their jump. Although Sundance clung, who couldn't swim, clung to Butch and almost caused Butch to drown. They made it through, at least at that point. What about us? All the twists and the turns and the stops and the starts and the dead ends. The Apostle Paul had a few of those, didn't he? Stops, starts, twists, turns, dead ends. But he could say this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, as a minister of the new covenant. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Indeed, thanks be to God. Step into the chaos and the Lord will make a way. Would you please not step, but stand? And I'm gonna pray for us as you do. Heavenly Father, you know the life of each person who is here and what each person needs at this point in his life, her life. Maybe there are people here who need to move forward in some way into what feels very chaotic. And I pray, Lord, that you would give them the strength to do so, that they would move forward. And I pray, Lord, that they would see your glory, see your power, and believe. 
Help us to believe, Lord, that as we move forward in life, we have a firm foundation, that Christ is a firm foundation for us, and that even we can have joy in the midst of chaos. As we sing this final song, would you impress these things upon us? In Jesus' name, amen. Christ is my firm father.